0: Welcome to yet another episode of the American Sublime. American Sublime on this here autumn day, the 27th year of our Lord, 1989. <laughs> <laughs> 27th. <laughs> 33rd, no? 33rd. Oh yeah, it's my birthday. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting older. I'm getting older. 33 is not. a good year. It is the year, right? There's all kinds of <laughs> esoteric meaning in 33. 33 is weird because now you're in the mid-30s. I'm in the mid-30s. Are you really? 33 to 36. those mm. That's the mid. True. And then 37 will be... Yeah, you only get two years of early 30s. Early and then you get two years of late. True. Hmm, that's true.
1: That's true.
0: So, you know, it's all good. Feel pretty good. Still exercising. Yeah. Still reading books. Still reading uh, elegies. (laughs) True. True. Brings us to the topic at hand. We are here to discuss the easiest read so far. I agree that we have sort of plugged through and given ourselves. It's it's for for discussion. "Hellbilly Allergy by J D Vance. Yeah. Which one of the things you know right off the the, the top here? I think J D. Did you read that in the book that he sort of just kept that, but that wasn't his real name? Isn't still J D? Did I get that right? I think his his name is now or he, J.D. Or he Mays. came up with a myth of why he had the J.D. <laughs> and then it was pronounced J.D. <laughs> oh, I,
1: well, I, I know that earlier, in, early in the book, he is, the D is for Donald.
0: Is it? I missed that.
1: And then he changes it to David. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Right. But I don't know if, that, if it's uh, him changing a myth it's funny actually, because he changes his name a few times, right? He changes his name from uh, what's it? What's the J stand for in his first name? John. <laughs> we should know.
0: <laughs> we should know. But you just get so used to calling him G. J- yeah, a- I kind of a- just go. forgot. I know.
1: Uh, but I I remember that the D changes from Donald to David when he gets adopted. It had to do with his adoption. That's right. right. Um, and then I think maybe the last name changed there too. And then when he gets James David, that's right. Good. Then when he when he gets married later on to Usha uh, or Usha, I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, then he changes it to Vance to connect with his uh, his grandparents.
0: Right who were the most important people in his life mm-hmm. especially his grandmother yeah this this is a good book this is a pretty good book i would say mhm did you like the book um i don't know
1: yet i i have to digest it a little more cuz i just finished it uh yesterday and it was mo- it was very moving right there were times reading it where I almost choked up. But there were other times reading it where I thought to myself, do I really believe that line? Or like, is this a little bit hyperbolic? Or like... With his grandmother. No. Mama. Well, I, what comes to mind...
0: Everything she said was a swear, curse.
1: No, I really liked her. <laughs> um, there were just certain things, certain linings in the book that in a handful of places when I would be really into it and really like with him in the story. And then he'd drop some like quote unquote hillbilly slang or something. And I would be like, I'd get taken out of it. Because I'd be like, do I really believe you when you're dropping
0: that in here? Like, Well, I believe that he's wrestling two worlds. And that's what's that's exactly what this book is about. Is a graduation from your roots, which are often torturous, bleak, traumatizing. Yeah. Into this this world of prestige that he founded through Yale and Law School and even through Ohio State. Ohio State was prestige in a sure. way I mean it, it taught him things and customs just going to college that he didn't Right, he wasn't equipped to deal with and then by the time he got to Yale 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 I keep saying Yale by the time he got to Yale and all those internships interviews mm-hmm. and all those things you, were, you you had a guy who was really battling between you know J.D. Vance who mama and papa are my grandparents yeah. and which fork do mama. I need mama and uh, yeah, papa and papa yeah. uh, which for, You know, that J.D. Vance battling with, which fork do I use at this dinner to make sure I'm not an idiot? Right. How do I order wine? Yeah. So, you know, and uh, so you've got two, you've got two people at, at, at war inside of this guy, I think, because, and I think that that's actually an American story, more than, than, than Appalachian even it's mm. it's totally american to 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 get the better life but then still be glued to it and then to revert to old customs and right and that's very common and that's something americans deal with it, it, you know in every facet true yeah there is a a challenge
1: of figuring out how to deal with your origin story which he also does, especially when he goes to Yale. But actually, his whole life, he's having a hard time explaining himself to people. He can't explain himself to his friends uh, where he lives or what the situation is between his mom and his dad or like he's taking care of his grandmother or he says he's taking care of his grandmother. just having a, a straight story I think actually the whole book is an exercise in getting a straight story for himself like he, yeah. really, he really needed to have something written down to think through it uh, but also to have an artifact to point to to be able to say oh that, that's my story you know rather than having to constantly re-conjure it up Right. You know, now there's something it's written, it's out in the world other people know it he probably doesn't need to explain himself as much anymore because the majority of people he comes in contact with gonna are familiar somewhat uh, which I think would be pretty helpful like if you're really tired because you spent the first 20 or so years of your life like agonizing over how to explain yourself <laughs> And then you write something, and then it's like, well, yeah. I wrote it; it's there. Like I don't have to explain anymore. Like I could give you some, you know, lore uh, surrounding certain things, but the core of it is there. That I think would be quite freeing. Hmm.
0: Well, to go to go to what you said about the the origin story and in trying to get one out of it, I think that's actually what makes some people. Apprehensive to him in this book because mm-hmm. you actually talk to people, and I think a lot of when you know what that is is people not liking his politics now, mm-hmm. so they write him off now. Mm-hmm. Because if you look on the actual book, the reviews were glowing at the time. We got yeah,
1: Bill Gates giving him a glowing oh, review. In people
0: Magazine, Time Magazine. Now all those places are all are the saying, establishment you know, media. <clears throat> all these people. Yeah, New, glowing reviews. New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, Vogue, Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> this and is the crazy. Atlantic. Oh, it's great. Obviously, you have that's a different climate now and everything that they say about him, he's the monster. You know? Right. But, <clears throat> and it was it
1: was published June 2016. This is before November. Some, some of the... Right. <laughs> so people so, may have been open to some sympathy toward like this forgotten... Group of appellations. That's not there anymore. People. No, they're they're just like, the oh, spies. They probably felt like they were being like generous or charitable, like, oh yeah, see, we, we love this story. But the group of people that he was writing about were politically uh, irrelevant in their eyes until, until 2016. <laughs> until a few months later. And they're like, oh. They're like, Oh,
0: shit. <laughs> so anyway, though, the thing, the thing that is a little di- difficult with the relation to what you said about the origin story is that this, right in the title, it's Hillbilly Elegy. But he didn't grow up in the woods, as you would think a hillbilly grows up in the You think a hillbilly, you think of somebody growing up deep rural. This fan, this, is, this is about his roots beyond where he grew up. Right. It's about the roots, really, of his grandparents and going back to Jackson, Kentucky and, you know, discussing and describing how the things that I experienced J- as J.D. Vance, as a child with my mother and her many men and her many drug pro- and alcohol problems and her erratic abusive violence... Mm-hmm. And there's so many stories that you're like, wow, you know. Yeah. That stuff goes deeper than even her direct parents. It goes back to the culture of Jackson, Kentucky. Right. Deep in. Fierce loyalty was one, you know, was one of those traits he talks about. These people are fiercely loyal to the point of when they say we might kill you, they mean it. You know, they might might stick a gun in your face over a minor dispute. Yeah. Uh, you, you Honor culture Incredibly driven by honor culture Yes Right So he's When he talks about hillbilly allergy And identifying with hillbilly culture He's actually talking about The Almost like if I was identifying with my Italian immigrant Grandparent Great grandparents And yeah. how that has woven into The experiences that kept getting passed along Right does that make sense? Do you see it? You see that? Jackson, Kentucky is more of a focal point than Middletown, Ohio in this book, even though Middletown's where he grew up. Jackson is what he where his heart glows, you know. Yeah. And unless I'm remembering incorrectly,
1: it does seem that he he went to he was only visiting Jackson. Only visiting? Right.
0: But it was But in
1: a way in your mind as you're going through the story you feel like
0: he lived in Jackson right. more. That's the it, anchor point. Right. Jackson is the is the place of, of where the culture of his entire family originates. Yes. Middletown's where they went to find work. Right. You know, but right. it wasn't never really feels like he's calling Middletown home. Even though a bunch of hillbillies as he have moved to middletown for the steel industry, it was amco right, right? his father- his grandfather worked at amco a- amco uh, amco or amcor at the plant right and and uh- made a good living off of it i mean yeah. he, he didn't actually grow up poor right he went in and out of poverty a lot mm-hmm. but he didn't actually grow up he grew up better off than a lot of the kids around him even yeah because. His grandfather had a good job, and then his mother was a nurse and mm-hmm. had a pretty good job until she went back to Jackson culture. And, yep. You know that reversion. Yep. I you know what, you, what do you think. You know what you think about about sort of uh, it's cu- confusing culture a being, little bit. Being it's... seated, but the culture of who you are being seated not even just by your parents, but by. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, so, that's so interesting to me. It's, it's very real.
1: Your The little things you do, how fast you eat, you know, is family culture. Like, there's the culture at large, but then there's the microculture of your own family, which may be different from the uh, Scots-Irish-Appalachian culture at large. Like, they'll have their things, but your family... Has its own peculiarities within the larger Appalachian man culture, uh, and they pass those things down over the years. I I've noticed things with people I meet, and even in my own family, I'm like, oh, that's a, pe- a peculiar thing to do. Like, I wonder where this thing came from. Like, I Ticks. bring I bring up eating. Like my family is notorious for eating so slow. We just really? we eat
0: really slow together. I can see Thornton a lot. Does Thornton eat slow. <sighs> the slowest, probably. I, I just kind of I yeah. sense that because he's also the cook. You know, he's True. also the yeah. chef. He eats last and he eats slow. He does eat, and I noticed he yeah. eats last. I, yeah. I I I sensed that. Yeah, but it's it almost comes off to me like humility. I think it's like a seems like it, a humble guy. He is
1: it's um it's an interesting i don't know like these (laughs) things
0: i haven't devoted a
1: lot of thought to them they've just occurred to me at various times but they're intriguing Mm. you know why do we do these little things why for example he brings I, i underlined it a number of times in the book where he's talking about the food they're eating and you know by the end of the book he's saying well now i'm eating whole foods you know, yeah. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, Connecticut food Yeah, I'm grocery shopping at Whole Foods He never mentions Hold on though He never mentions Did he really live in, in New Haven? Because he never mentions Frank Pepe Pizzeria And that's, you know, that's Listen, a test I, I've never even been to New Haven <laughs> I've only best driven pizza, through Connecticut Best pizza in the United States Yeah, it, It's just, there's three pizza places In, in New Haven that are just Mind-blowing
1: New Haven is Connecticut. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Yale. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Food. I thought the food element of the book. But then he says, at the same time, he was buying, and this is the in and out part of of JD's experience with going from Yale to Middletown, Yale to Middletown. He's torn, even just the the fact that when he bought his family. Food in it for the first time mm-hmm. Like a meal mm-hmm. It was Wendy's And I believe it was after
1: Yeah It was after, after the funeral him. Right And he Had graduated from uh, Well he was a marine by then
0: And he was making his own money Not a lot But he was enough yeah. to buy Enough to buy everybody food at Wendy's Yeah yeah And the, yeah. you know and Wasn't that Wasn't that for for? So he was home for a week Some uh,
1: Yeah, there were a couple of episodes... Pat Poswing? Yeah. Where he comes back for a funeral. Funerals were were a pretty big uh, event in the book. You know, when people die, it's like, oh my
0: gosh. Right. Well, you know, it's exceptionally so to his mother, which is one of the things that really bothered me about his mother What is that she made the deaths of her parents about her mm. more than anyone else mm. it, it was really almost it, it, it felt almost narcissistic at times and I think that the, I think that she does I, I don't want to take away from the fact that she, she loves her kids Lindsay the sister in, yeah in JD but there's something so torn up in that lady you know <laughs> Yeah, well, at one point, Lindsay says... (coughs) I remember her response to that. She
1: was our mom, too, which was a pretty gnarly line. Silenced the car ride. Oh, yeah. And I think that maybe one of the things that's going on there, or was going on there, was that because of the shattered family dynamic the mom was almost at the same level as the kids mm-hmm. in their relation to the grandparents mamma and, and papa like she needed the same kind of care like the the hierarchy of authority was kind of the same and in some ways it seems that she had kind of discredited herself as an authority in the lives of lindsay and jd right because of her various escapades and and so the relationship between the kids the grandkids and the grandmother is one of a a parent and a child and so maybe there's like a sibling rivalry dynamic
0: going on there that's it well i think that's true i also think
1: but yeah, if it's it true, is narcissistic to make somebody else's death right, it, about oh you, you shouldn't be grieving the it, way you're grieving like they were my I'm the one who right but who should be allowed to
0: grieve in whatever way if it's true and if she ha- if she yeah I don't even know if I I mean it in that way but I think maybe what you're saying has a lot of merit to it yes she's sort of like a sibling to her own kids yeah at the same time you can I don't even think JD fully blamed her either it's you go back to moments <clears throat> when her grandmother uh, when JD's grandmother tried to <laughs> light her grandfather on fire <laughs> he actually soaked him in gasoline yeah was, did that i mean no could it yeah. could've, it could have burned him
1: to yeah. death yeah. no
0: no problem yeah. all of them really i mean right in the chair right yeah. Just, just loose cannon, right? And you think about that moment, and I remember a part from the book where JD's mother, as a child in that scenario, was hiding in fear while the other, her siblings reacted differently to these things. Yeah. Acted more forthright to them. Em- sure. Not embraced them, but were willing to just muscle through it. she had a missed childhood. She, it's, like, it's like the childhood years were just blotted out for her Right They, didn't, they, were, they were just pure trauma Right and, um, and I've seen this I've seen this a lot actually I grew up in a rural town in Massachusetts Which isn't Appalachia mm-hmm. there's, a lot, there's plenty of opportunity in Massachusetts and There's plenty of work and good industry If you're so willing There are a lot of towns, rural towns though Even in New England That you see the same kind of thing it's well, just, if you get out of the city even, like, 45 minutes, you yeah. quickly
1: find the John Deere vibe.
0: Yeah, for, yeah. For lack
1: of a better yeah.
0: term, you know. I grew, I grew, anywhere. I, anywhere you go. Any state. I, I always felt like, to a point, there's a kinship with all rural people in this country, mm-hmm. even though some have it, obviously, far worse. Appalachia is the uniquely devastated in a lot of ways, but growing up in a rural working blue-collar town, a lot of that same stuff happens. You have grandparents raising kids. Yep, uh, and it happens in cities too, of course. So it, I saw that in Hawaii. You know, in, where do you live in Hawaii? Kauai, is that, what, the island. Is that any major cities for Hawaii? No, no. I
1: mean, there's one major city, Honolulu, but it's is it, it's on the main. It's on Oahu. Okay. Um, well, I'm familiar with Honolulu, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, <laughs> but it's it's eight islands. People live on, well, they live on all of them, but mostly on the four main ones have the majority right. of the population. But so you see that dynamic. You
0: see it everywhere. You go to you go to rural America, and you're gonna see a lot of a lot of this. They're just there's this. It, it it's really what he's getting at is the, the roots of working white working class people in the United States. Yes, it's Appalachian. My point being, Appalachian in the book, my point being it's in Maine. Yeah. The same sort of, not the same cultural roots, but the same problems right. are in Maine. They're in New Hampshire. They're in, they're in parts of Massachusetts. There are towns along Route 2 West, yeah. uh, not too far from where I grew up town of Orange, Athol Mass, these are these are towns that would look to and feel to you like an Appalachian town. Yeah, yeah. They're old mill towns. Right. They, they have 20% or uh, uh, roughly 20% of the town is living in poverty. Yeah. They have fentanyl. They have heroin. They have a, a ton of people on welfare, alcoholism, obesity, all of the things that have culturally sort of rotted out rural working people. And this is, you know, it goes into the country as a whole, has, has invested culturally, in the urban coastal centers, right, and has decided that the people who built this country, essentially, or their ancestors, yeah. are tr- are trash now, right, and that that pisses me off, honestly. You could probably, yeah, yeah, that yeah. bothers me because I've always had a a, a, a kinship to those people. I grew up around working to middle class at best, you know, blue-collar types. Yeah. And I, I, they worked hard. It was a little different. I mean, because he, he gets into the culture here is like, they think they work hard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and,
0: and that, but that, there's even something to be said for even thinking that you are. You're, you're just out of touch, and that's JD's point. There's an out-of-touch element woven into the people who live in these regions. Yeah. They're out of touch with themselves, with their own uh, habits, their own everyday thing. You know, they're they're giving their kids, some of them. I don't want to say they're as an all, but some of them are giving their kids Mountain Dew in the in the baby bottle. Right. That's that's a disconnection, man. You know. Yeah.
1: It was. complicated. reading it, I encountered a lot of complication in my own mind because uh, the thing that immediately occurs to me is the question how did this happen um, And you know certain people like uh, George Friedman he has a book called uh, the storm before the calm he he talks about institutional cycles and financial cycles and he lays out this series of cycles in American history that basically created the situation that we're in now with um, the death of American industrialism creating, well, a dearth of uh, financial stability and in turn that cascading into broken families because of the stress of of uh, their finances being not in order and then having to, the embarrassment um, of having to depend on the government who they also hate and see as responsible for putting them in the sure. position in the first place. It's this mm-hmm. whole uh, disaster. But I to zoom out, when I was looking... thinking about the story as I finish the book, um, you have this American dream thing, and it seemed that all the the people that Vance holds up as, uh, at least as far as the children of the grandparents' generation, um, they're all kind of... Like, the American dream would be a white-collar job for him. That seems to be what he's saying. And I'm sure if you asked him, there would be some qualifications in there. But I think you it's hard to expect people that have lived in a certain way, they have certain customs, and these customs that they have have been around for hundreds of years. And then in the institutional cycle that starts in the 1940s, where you get this culture of credentialism, and the only way to have social, economic mobility is to go to college, like, and basically push paper. Um, I'll, also, in the end of the book, he's talking about how even succeeding academically was considered, like, a feminine thing. Yeah, yeah. And... I
0: remember that, too,
1: though. I yeah, I remember that for myself, but... Um, <laughs> It just seems to me like there's kind of a a hole in the in the argument of the book for what the American dream should be. Should the American dream be a white collar job, well, or or should it be actual self sustainability? White collar job is optional.
0: I think if you but would like bring. I don't know. I... I don't mean, this is the complication. You, you know, I, I think if you were to bring all these jobs back to Middletown, reopen all the steel mills, reopen all the, the, ma- the major factories, or, or, you know, anywhere in the Rust Belt or in West Virginia, Charlestown, yeah. uh, Charleston, West Virginia, name, name the place, you know, anywhere. I don't think it would solve, I really don't think it would solve our country's tangled woes. I I agree with you. I don't think you. But why? Why do you think it wouldn't do that? I don't think it would. I don't think it would hurt. (laughs) I think it would certainly help. I think the culture's changed at large on the whole. Yeah. Where, I mean, you remember probably as a kid going to school. High school comes around, and and you know, there's college prep, and -hmm. there's and maybe that's. Did you go to high school in Hawaii? No. Oregon. Oregon. Coastal, of course, but not really East Coast coastal. Mm-hmm. Oregon's tough. Oregon's dark. You know, it's it's not really a coastal state like Washington or California. Yeah, it's sort of the, the the serial killer little brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well it is. I it's mean, a rainy. It's a it's, rainy state. It's got two cities of size, right? It's got right. Portland and Bend. Oh, Bend is a big city, you'd say. Well, it's the, it's the second biggest, isn't it? And or oh no, Eugene, Eugene. Is the second biggest, I think, but then Bend. So three cities of like any size, right? That's it. Yeah. But anyway, it's not exactly. I, a major. I
1: always think of it as a one city. State. It is a one city. It's state. just
0: Portland. Yeah. Like Eugene is even though it is a college town, it's I don't know if it's more than like I'm just talking in contrast to the rest of the state. There's, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, keep going. But I, I think about how going to high school, there's college prep. And then they start to really hammer down. Hey, you got to think about your future. You got to where are you going to go to college. Where are you going to apply to school? It wasn't even about what you were going to do. Oh, figure it out when you get there. Yeah. Which led us to this fucking disaster we're in now. Where these kids never figured it out, and <clears throat> they come out with
1: massive, God knows how massive, much de- debt.
0: Yeah, the like kids who went to straight, trade school or buying houses and yeah. pickup trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, well, anyway, uh, so you've you've conditioned. Enough of the population for more than a generation now to believe wholesale, even in places like Middletown, Ohio, I'm sure. Yeah. That the only way out is college. Yep. if you were to bring these factories back, people are going to feel culturally like that's regression. True. And they're not going to want to... Just get a job in the factory. We don't live in the in the in the times now of get a job in the factory and work there thirty years. Right. Even right. if it paid you forty and forty bucks an hour, which some of these factories would, the, the yeah. Detroit auto factories do, you have to have an old, you have to have a different idea of America. That's that's really right. slipped away. Right. In order to commit to that kind of thing, so <clears throat> even with with people like Trump and other America First guys, you know, we got to bring the industry back. Joe Kent. Yeah. Uh, J D Vance, I think, yeah, is yeah. even arguing that. It sounds great, but even JD Vance admits we we have such a tangled mess of cultural things to disentangle that I don't think it's going to be just bring the jobs back. And right. I think that that's the the shorts because people won't apply. Yeah, you, you could you could give. I mean, we have, some
1: would, but the majority are not interested. yet. you
0: get jobs everywhere, hiring everywhere, and, and you just. The country's changing fast. We've got the culture of OnlyFans and foot pics. There's enough people being pulled out of the... Well, the culture is people working for themselves. Which is great. But you also have a culture, a whole group of... A whole population of people by thousands and thousands of them who really aren't talented, who have found a way to make living just... Selling parts of themselves on the internet. Yeah, I, I mean, they're hustling. It's On the one hand, I think it's complete degeneracy.
1: But on the other hand... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I think that, I mean, it's degeneracy on the part of the people selling, degeneracy on the part of, you know, on the people buying. But we also live in this totally insane time, economically socially like it's very difficult to make money for a lot of people and so they're like well i have all this debt you know these girls or some guys you know i have all this debt like how do i get out of it as quickly as possible the quickly word is important exactly because that's what everybody's trying to do yeah. with everything and so they you know jump on only fans or whatever it is <laughs> uh and they get out but then you know it. it there is always
0: a price. Well, you know what I think the price is. Tell me. And this is what the whole book is about. Yeah, it's the cost of a culture that values having family. Mm. And you know, the, this is true. The guy who would go to work every day for twenty-five, thirty years—that's my. That's the type of guy I grew up around. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a convenience store my parents ran for 27 years. Mm. Before that, my dad ran a bit uh, automotive repair shop for, I think, another 20, mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe it was 15. Anyway, that commitment <clears throat> to the job, to the to the idea of holding something down and and living in one place and having roots is a commitment. To, you're saying you're committing to raising a family, right, which is obviously what's broken along with the industry you don't have one without the other mm-hmm. if you have the 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 uh, the tumbleweed millennial right <laughs> for, yeah and I, I'm guilty I mean through my twenties I just wanted to run around live sleep in a different town every night and yeah that that mentality is hostile to settling down yeah. being hostile to settling down is being hostile to yeah we have an entire generation job. of potted plants oh. <laughs> it's true that's so good that's a good metaphor potted plant generation we yeah, are the we are t- i think that the millennials are the low point for now and i think it's going to get better
1: yeah well it's funny i so i read hillbilly elegy and then i had been reading the storm before the Calm* by george friedman For a while, uh, and it occurred to me that it would be a good compliment, and there was a line in it. I actually finished it this afternoon, and uh, Friedman said something about how that rootlessness is going to be looked upon as old-fashioned by the next generation. I like that. And they're going to think that to be modern will be to be rooted. Like That's you guys cool. are so old-fashioned with your gadgets and your computer chips and having to be attached to everything online and all that nonsense and never being rooted. But you think modernity the, in twenty years, <laughs> the new
0: modernity is going to
1: be tradition. Will be tradition. You think so? I actually agree. I think, I think, the think winds it's already are happening that way. Yeah. yeah, they're
0: they're definitely swaying that way. Yeah. I think that there's only so much of this people could take. And then I think that's what you have. Because it's
1: basically rock
0: bottom. Well, you've got the... You've got Where the, do
1: you even go? <laughs> like, you basically just have to not exist that's anymore. That's exactly right. But that's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly. what the
0: World Economic Forum is talking right, right. about, right? They're talking about hacking the human genome. Right. Hacking people. hmm Because they know... I think at the, at the core, these people are in a rush because they know time's up.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, they, well, they know... They know unless they destroy the... the this the cyclic mechanism that they're not going to they're not going to be in power in the next cycle um, no influence they're not going to have the same financial power like their whole the whole position of the technocracy right now is in question and
0: well they're all going they're to the going gulag, to lose for sure <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> That's one way to put it. Kyle's gulag. It'll be them and the people who litter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Kyle's Caliphate. <laughs> Kyle's. Cal- uh, we have the technocrats and the litter bugs. Yeah. Dig. Ser-
1: <laughs> seriously.
0: What are we digging for? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> you have to get reacquainted with backbreaking labor. Reminds
0: me of uh sorry, I'm off track. Was it the the Solzhenitsyn's uh, yeah archipelago. No, I haven't read that, but it's his short his short work. Uh, I I, I want to say Ivan Ilyich, but I think that that's Tolstoy, The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Yeah, but I'm thinking of something that's similar. Hmm. He wrote a short book, and it, okay. it's just a it's just a, a like a week in the Gulag, huh? And he just lays bricks, but it's almost for no reason.
1: They're yeah. Just, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just
0: working in this brutal cold, and they hide bread and.
1: Yeah, because that's gonna reeducate you.
0: Yeah, and his, somehow
1: work is the cure to your political uh,
0: misdemeanors. His character had a light sentence of like twenty years. Oh, a light sentence. <laughs> I I read. Um, you imagine thinking twenty years in a gulag is the light sentence? You're like oh, the abridged
1: God. version of that.
0: Thank God, twenty years, man.
1: Wow, it's crazy. Well, what else is crazy to me is that they even kept track. Like if you're going to put somebody in twenty years for this kind of political nonsense like why why even keep track? Just put them there and forget like I think it's it's hilarious that oh and so what? you go complain to the people in charge like it's just funny to me that they would have these ridiculous sentences for the tiniest thing and actually keep track of the days like it's so petty it's It's just a weird state of affairs, don't it you is. think
0: yeah. Yeah, and you have to be really committed you to know? your pettiness. It's it's just really is pettiness. Stalinism was just yeah, like a, a guy was, being petty, you know. Yeah, quite a regime. Yeah. Yeah, your 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 caliphate, though, sounds interesting. <laughs> we'll have clean streets. Yeah. There will be no trash. Hey, it'll
1: be like Singapore.
0: Sure. Yeah. You if you
1: if you, <laughs> put a, if you spit gum out on the street. I mean, gum might even be illegal in Singapore. I don't know.
0: I'll have to confirm that later. That's right. You know, you don't have any respect for your, for your direct surroundings. You don't have any respect for your country.
1: I agree with that. Like, it's not... It's definitely not the act of actually spitting the gum out on the street that is the problem. It's the attitude behind... Yes. ...that thing happening that is the real... That's what
0: you're getting punished for. It's your bad attitude. Not I, the act. Because yeah. the act is whatever. I even I you know I'll be driving down the road I'll have a banana, and I'll i be like man I don't want anybody to see me I throw this banana peel. Which you can you can throw a banana peel into the woods. It's biodegradable. It's, biodegradable. it's perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah. good. It's going to be better off there than anywhere else probably. True. But just the act of it. You don't, you don't want to throw a banana peel out the window. I don't want anybody see anything leaving my car thinking mm. it's a bear can or something. Ah uh, yeah 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 because they could call. Somebody. Like I, I hope there are people out there like me who are psychos about this, like I am. I, don't, yeah. I was at a rest stop once. <laughs> I get very
1: mad. Actually, I get mad. Like JD Vance. Oh gets yeah, mad. he gets mad.
0: No, I was at a rest stop once, and, and this group of kids, four or five, probably twenty-year-olds. Yeah. I saw them just roll their windows down. I mean, the trash can was right there. Yeah. Oh, and I, I just was like. I said, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm thinking, Go "I'm, I'm going to fight these four guys right now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am sure they killed. saw you being really pissed off. I was like, mad. Yeah, and I was really mad. Or no, even right.
1: four people who see a very angry person will be careful.
0: Not young cocky kids cuz you know, these are young cocky. So what did they say? Like, what are you going to do? No, they just old, drove old off. Man. They drove off. No, old I man. was I was probably 20. in your in
1: your, your mid
0: 30s now? No, I was 20 <laughs> maybe 8 then. Oh, so your, you, you were already an old man? I, no, that's my prime, okay? <laughs> the prime is 28 to 32. I'm, I'm just outside of it now. Oh, that's true, that's true. Physical prime. Physical prime. Mental prime. Well, no, I think it, it might even be mental prime. Mental yeah. prime is probably 25 to 30 because your brain develops fully by 25. Sure, sure. But I'm, I'm thinking about chess players right now.
1: As soon as you start exiting thirty, your game goes down. Like at the highest levels, you know. Isn't it? It's so sad those days. It's are going very on. interesting. But, but there's also wisdom at play. I don't know. You know who was probably very good in his old age. Well, we know he was very good in his old age. Was Bobby Fischer? But I digress. So, um, <laughs> we've covered littering. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the term hillbilly? This was another thing, like... That's a contention point. I'm, I've got a lot of conflict in engaging with this book, because on the one hand, as a political... As a citizen, I see a figure like J.D. Vance as useful uh, for the things that I believe in. And for the many people who may have the same opinion or opinions on certain things about the country that exist and should exist, a character like him is one that you want to be around. And so in that respect, um, you know, I, I'm on his side, I would say. But there were certain things in the book that sounded like a little bit checklisty to mm. me. Like he had to put that little narrative in there, in that paragraph, paragraph there, in order to check off something on the list for the political book. And even though in some of his interviews, this is, I guess, this is a part where he was I'm, lining where up the I'm,
0: Senate run all these years ago. I think so. This, this is how all I'm, right. I'm
1: pushing back just a little bit, uh, and saying, like, I saw a number of things comments on, well, like, you know, he he had his his quality gun training from his grandfather, and maybe it was his grandmother, I don't remember. They both taught him how to shoot. Yeah. It goes back and to thing. And he's, Jackson. like, the one guy in his unit in the Marines who actually is a good shot where they're complaining about how most people who come in and think they know how to shoot because they've shot before have bad technique. And, no, that's it's fine. But that was one in a number of things. Oh, like him standing up to the bully for the little kid. Like, okay, you know, this is a
0: good story. I agree with it. People <laughs> it should stand up. like he almost killed that kid, too, in the lunch line. <laughs> kid was ble- like coughing up blood, I thought. I mean, that's a pretty
1: hard punch to the stomach. But uh, there were just a number of of instances in which I got taken out. He's setting his resume in order. Yeah, and and there was another one where where he, okay, so this happened maybe three or four times where the language became unnecessarily hyperbolic. Um, And the instances when they do the modeling thing, and he's talking about his sister Lindsay's, Modeling prospect, but then for whatever reason they can't get up to New York because something happens with them with the mom and yeah, the yeah, car, yeah. and then a, a paragraph or two later he's like, "Since Lindsay's modeling career went up in flames, or prospects went up in flames," I was like,
0: "There wasn't anything. there
1: wasn't even anything to go up with, like just these little lines here and there that were tacked on at the end of paragraphs." I crossed them out in my own book. I was like, "I would have done without that." Like. It just didn't make sense to have all these, like, affectatious asides at the end of things in order to sound
0: more hard. Or to, ele- to elevate, sort of, to get, like, in that moment. <laughs> to sound more, like, hillbilly-esque, which... Okay, so this is what I was going to ask you about the hillbilly term. Sure. But I was going to say, in that moment with Lindsay, though, just to cap that, that's just almost like giving the unnecessary hero's journey to one event in a day that we knew wasn't going to pan out. Right. Oh, she hurt. Like, right. went off went in up and cliff. Okay, to be she's fair. Pretty. She's pretty. I've looked her up. She's yeah.
1: pretty. I judge. Well, I saw uh, <laughs> uh, the Megyn Kelly interview of five years ago, um, oh. which was good. Um, and Lindsay's in that interview. And you can tell that, you know, no, she's still a... Um, she's a pretty woman and when she she was younger i'm sure she was very attractive uh, but what i mean to say is that there are a lot of these instances of like hard talk where he's saying goddamn this and right fucking this and i'm like I don't know if I believe you after all this time and all this change and you went to Yale, you took your legal writing classes like you did. You're a lawyer now. You have read a lot. You're, you're dropping that you read Ayn Rand because you're comparing Usha to an Ayn Rand character. Like you're a well-read individual, but when you write your memoir, you're adding these things to like make yourself sound hillbilly-esque but to get to the term i'm doing this in a really circuitous fashion do 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 people who we i mean i've never called anybody a hillbilly but let's say i did do they call themselves people like what jd vance is describing
0: call themselves hillbillies Uh, i don't don't think they do i don't think my suspicion
1: is that they don't so it's almost like he invented this thing where it's like we call ourselves hillbillies it's because i was under the impression that hillbilly was almost like a slur it's not at the level of slur but it's like an
0: insult and so well his audience who might
1: be quote-unquote hillbillies, would never call themselves right, hillbillies. Right, but, but guess
0: what? His audience is, is people who use that word to describe people through the Rust Belt, Ohio, right. Kentucky, West Virginia, even Western North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and that's, he's writing, again, it's a march between two worlds. He's writing this book. Look at who look who raved about it. Right, and that is the risk you run, and that is probably the the run of critique that has come at it.
1: For sure, it, I'm, I'm not I'm the, not even thinking this is a the, is
0: new critique. There's a few risks he ran with that with the, with the hillbilly thing, but mm-hmm. right off the top is is definitely the fact that he used that word. But it's a buzzword, and it, it gets people to look to pay attention, and right you know to people who went to Yale, to people who live in Boston, to people. I can definitely who, who buy and read books. S- sure, I can definitely see that.
1: You. You got to play the game, and I I don't hold anything against him for playing the game. So, um, but my concern <laughs> is just believability. I think he could have played the game without some of that stuff that tell the story without yeah, yeah. without these affectations. It would be like, right, if Ben Carson... Like, you could say, <laughs> well, you know, that. we did this thing and, like, what the fuck. You could say that, but you don't have to overplay that card again okay. and again.
0: Yeah, it'd be, like, it'd be like if Ben Carson started talking about when he grew up, was it in Detroit or around Detroit?
1: Sure, and he and... starts using, like, jive, you know, if <laughs> I can say man? that. I'm sorry,
0: but I'm just, I picture him sleepy, Ben, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just talking all soft. And or, then like, like, Thomas Sowell. Yeah, just being like, "Oh, my my homies back." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's that's exactly that's a perfect analogy. Can you imagine Thomas Sowell talking about his homies? That's this is what it sounds here's like. Here's the thing: in though, so
0: many cases in the book, and here's the thing: here's why I think that that what he did is actually maybe organic. He was thirty-one. A lot of the time, thirty-one is not an age to have a reflection point where you're going to say this is. <laughs> <laughs> he's still on his path to figuring out who he is. Yeah, he's not. I am now sixty. I have learned who no, I am. No, for sure, he's a kid. Thomas Sowell is a wise sage of a man. He's an old yeah. wise man. Of course, he wouldn't do that. A thirty-one-year-old guy who who even admits in the beginning, and I think it's the the prelude, or,
1: which it was its own wisdom. I think he, to be he like says, listen. I haven't
0: even done anything. Yeah. Like- I've graduated from college. Yeah, but that's kind of a big feat for me, I guess. Sure. You know? But I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I sh- a memoir at thirty-one. You know, that in and out of of that. You know what I like about that's that's that? That's still though? somebody who's almost twenty something. You I, know what it, it's I a, like?
1: I like the the dated check memoir. Post-dated. It's like he's writing a memoir that he's going to cash later. Yeah. And I like that about this. And I like that in general.
0: You really think he had that foresight? You really think he was like, of I'm, go- course. I'm going to be... I'm coming back to Ohio someday. Uh, really oh, my gosh. Time. Like, give me a break. I feel like Yale is a political school in some sort anyway. But don't you think it was funny that... Uh, maybe I'm also maybe I'm not he-
1: trying to, like, see through J.D. Vents. No, I no, think no, no. that's ridiculous.
0: But maybe... You, hold on. Do you, do you think... Do you think he even put in the part about how he turned that job offer down to, to really make sure that he focused on this relationship that mattered a lot to him? Do you think he put that in there? You know what I'm talking about? He's like, he got a mentor yeah, yeah. told him, don't take this job, JD. It's going to kill your relationship. Amy Lucia. Chua. Is that her prof- name? The professor. I think and he that's goes, her name. you know, I'm really glad about that decision because, you know, I love my wife. And of yeah. course he does. He's still with her. He's got a beautiful family. Yeah. And, but I thought that that was a little like, ah, Oh, Family Guy! You know he chose the woman. He chose oh, the woman right. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I had, at that point in the book, I had kind of like stopped keeping track of the number of checked boxes that I felt like
0: I was seeing, but that is another one of them, which is fine. I wanna, I wanna praise it though. Yeah. For, for, for a couple of things, I agree with you on these. Compliment things, sandwich. Sure. Compliment look, we giving it an honest look. Yeah. You know, for one. I've often thought about, man, if I were to, and I, I kept jur- journals throughout the most important years of my life, the, the late teens. Yeah. I've often thought about, man, if I were to sit down and try and do this, could I even remember? Could I really remember these things? And he talks about his earliest memory was maybe when he was five. Yeah. I don't have those. Mm. I don't even know anything. I don't even, I don't know anything about my 10th birthday. I don't know anything about my 15th birthday. He seems to know these things for some reason. I don't, know these things so even to be able to scrape these things up and really actually tell things chronologically yeah it's quite impressive i think for anybody who's writing a memoir but even just to to attach it to his his cultural ground so that you really feel the moments that are going on at times
1: well like i said in, in the beginning of the show today i was very moved on a number of occasions while reading the book And I think it's a powerful story, Um, it's a necessary story, because the Appalachian man is kind of an ignored man, a man without a voice, a man who goes and fights all the wars, a man who built this country. Uh, the man who conquered the first barrier between the east... the country with coal and... Yeah, between the east coast and the west coast, the man who basically lived in the coal mines and died there, like, and has zero respect and now zero voice, but you get this guy who's from here, and he's kind of a, a transcendent figure in a way, where he comes, he rises out of it, out of the ashes, out of the coal mines... Um, proverbially speaking uh, out of that wide moment and becomes a voice and that's good and powerful and necessary and so I definitely commend him for that and also I would add that I'm also less concerned with what somebody said and how they said it I mean I know that the way someone says something and what they're saying, it is important and it does reflect things about their reality and their interaction with the world in general. But you also have to, I think, lend greater weight to what people are actually doing. And I think the things that he's doing and that he has done are good things. Mm. Uh, just inve- think, devoting time and energy... Uh, and memeing about investing in rural and uh, flyover country America is very good and very necessary. And it's actually, it's an underserved market, so why wouldn't you? It's actually quite smart to do that. Um, But it's all the better for someone who has a connection and feels like they want to give back.
0: Right. Yeah, I you know, I go back to what you just said about rising from coal country, you know, proverbially. Yeah, I don't want to it call him a phoenix, so that's going overboard, but There's also the 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 thing that that that's trouble that's tough with even that because if you if you see everything as or everybody's opportunity is getting out. Yeah. Then the people who stay to stay in they need they need enough pride, encouragement, and uh, morale to continue to c- keep going down in the mine or to keep m- working the factories. Yeah, that's you, what I was saying. So you you push this you 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 got to walk. He's got to walk these worlds carefully. He yeah, because
1: you have American dream as white collar right. destination, which going, I
0: don't think that's correct. Going back to run for Senate. This is one of those things that people are hitting him with. They're saying he's not even from Ohio. He lives in San Francisco. It's like, well, what? He lives in San Francisco because he got out. He's ba- He lives in Ohio. He went back to Ohio, but he's from Ohio. He's from...
1: You know, the, to... one of the problems with the American dream, I think, is that it's very place transcendent. It's like about achieving this ability to be disconnected from your place and the problems of your place. and Yeah. And one of the things that occurred to me, actually, and I misread it, actually, at the end of the book. He said that he had the phrase in there. He has it a number of times, but um, he had the phrase American Dream. And I misread read it as Appalachian Dream. And that's what I want to see, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, you and your it's
1: Appalachian like, What's the Appalachian Dream? <laughs> it's not about transcending place. It's right. about... I mean, I'm just making up what I imagine the Appalachian Dream would be, but it would probably have something to do with achieving freedom where you are while remaining connected to that That's place right. and interdependent.
0: And, and you remember what, with Ka- it. what Kai said about our country falling? He was like, "You say, you got to get your passport." Oh and He yeah. goes. He said,
1: "This is my this p- is my fucking home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not going anywhere." <laughs> And I think we, I think there's some of that mentality no, I know, I know. that need, that that's the American, like I'm not leaving, you know I'm staying right here. Yeah. Uh, not that doesn't necessarily mean I'm staying right here yeah. in the neighborhood in the hometown I grew leaving. up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, but but to me it, the type of people who there's there's a little bit of overlap to I've got to go to California and find my dream and right. the same kind of people who every four years they don't get what they want out of a presidential election, saying, I'm moving to Canada. There's a little bit of overlap in that mentality of, if I don't like it here, I'm just going to
1: leave. Well, that is America, though, because the original people
0: who came here didn't like
1: it where they were, so they just left. But I do want to mention something else about the American dream, which is that the present... Young generations, the Millennials and the Zoomers, are increasingly nihilistic. The Millennials, I think, still do remember what the American dream is, but not firsthand. Um, The Zoomers, on the other hand, I think, don't really have any notion. And I thought that one of the really powerful things for J.D. Vance was that he was guided by his grandmother and grandfather who still had a very vivid Mm -hmm. idea of what the American dream was and they could consistently encourage him to pursue that. And that was very helpful for him. And I also liked what he was talking about when he mentioned the legal definition of family and how Perhaps it should be expanded. Um, because I think that definition actually came about out uh, just after World
0: War II, he, where he, you have
1: the whole nuclear family thing. Right.
0: He believes that because he was always in danger of being removed from his grandmother and his grand. Yeah, well, and just the biological circle.
1: connection, though, is very right. important and powerful. So I... I Read that, and I, I thought to myself, "That's so true." Like, my mom is from Mexico. Actually, even my my dad is from was from Virginia, and both of their families were very tight knit and expansive. Mm-hmm. Aunts, uncles, cousins, like. And my dad, I think it. It is a very Appalachian style family on my dad's side. I would say, um, I watched the J D Vance movie, the Hillbilly, the, the Hillbilly movie, and it was funny to me because in the in the beginning of the movie, you have all these huge family photos. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like my family. Like we have those forty, fifty people in the the group family photo. Like
0: that's a thing. Yeah, I I, I don't. I don't know about that, actually, for myself. Yeah. Family's only gotten smaller and smaller Mm. over the years and less tight. Mm. And I noticed that a lot of that, a lot of the, even friend groups, but family, too, is just dissolved under political stress, Mm. which I think a lot of those big family photos are going to be a thing of the past as we become more and more polarized. Yeah. The yeah, idea, that's definitely you a know, possibility. and I think, I, honestly, I just, I don't, I don't respect people who write off their family based on politics. I just don't, I don't. Same. It's you, supposed to be something that supersedes. it. It's yeah. not supposed to be how you measure your relationship, right? To because you. you're holding up your politics as, as higher,
1: higher than your blood, your spiritual. Yeah, well the blood is spirit. Oh God. <laughs> the life is in the blood. My oh my friend.
0: goodness. This is biblical. Oh boy. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, in
1: a way that's true, right? I mean it's it's Well to appeal to the blood is is to make a spiritual argument.
0: Actually, it doesn't even have to be blood.
1: You don't have to be blood to be family. going be my like, oh, right. like, gosh. Yeah. No,
0: but it, it could be no, good friends. You can friends. have your
1: good friends, sure. You know,
0: I, I have a lot of different political leanings than a lot of my friends. You know, we all kind of shoot different arrows in different directions and a lot of my friends here, yeah. friends elsewhere, I don't I don't really know what kind of discussions we could have. But then again, I don't know how good of a friend you are if you can't have honest discussions about honest issues yeah. without blowing up on someone and maybe leaving. I, them.
1: I had to tell a friend about this
0: last week. She's
1: uh, she's French Chinese. Yeah. And she she was talking to me about how she's like trying to find a boyfriend in New York City. And she said, "Oh, if you know anybody, she's probably not. She won't listen to this." podcast. <laughs> so, so I feel at liberty to say this um, but she's yeah. like if you know anyone, tell me oh p s they have to be liberal and i was like i does she not know you <laughs> I, don't, I well, I did think that, but I think that she does know me, which is why she said they have to be liberal that's funny like what what can I do for you nothing I mean, yeah i you know I call it a regime. <laughs> <laughs> it's a regime. <laughs> but I, I, in that moment, it was funny, though, because I was thinking, European leftists are not the same. Like, they think that they can bring their position to the United States, but it's not the same game.
0: European leftism is is still populist. A right. Lot, a lot of it. A lot right. of it's... A, uh, you know, Orwell was is... I don't know if he's a populist, but his message is populist inspired. Yeah. He believed in getting into the dirt. Right. With the worker. You right. know, down and out in London and Paris. He right. worked in the kitchens. He right. He went to Wig and Pear in the mines. Yes. He worked he bled and broke bread with these people. Yeah. The the American left it's, left it's not the same. Is so to a, think that if
1: you come here like, oh, you can just join Team Left, to me
0: is it's a, way different. Yeah. They they hate the proletariat. Right What we would call the proletariat they hate them, and they don't know how to reconcile that with with their views they They just say, "Oh, we well, just write them off, you know we don't yeah. like them. We only like them if their skin pigment is a certain color right and then you and then you know a lot of those people working class uh, you know migrant populations, yeah tend to abandon them too because they treat them a certain way and then they're, then they're like well we don't like them anymore either so right. it's like who do you pe- what do you people even do- what are you doing it, they read New York Times bestsellers and they live in New York City and right San Francisco and <laughs> they work on the iPads and they work in tech and they talk about my GDP and they yeah. think that that's that's le- left wing politic and yeah. it's so funny to me because.
1: And they get catechized with all their are, Netflix shows.
0: Yeah, they're living. There's not even a bubble. The, it's a different the, the world. The Netflix dude. historical revisionism. It's a. It's just a different world. It's not even. It's not even a bubble. There's no reality that we share. We don't share any reality yeah. overlap really with these. And these are people. A lot of them, who never, never worked a day in a life. Don't even. Wouldn't shake the hand of a working man. Yeah. They don't even know. She's a hard worker. I will say that. Oh, I'm not talking um, about her. I don't know her. But know. I'm just talking about the the prototype.
1: Yeah, I did tell her. I said, listen, because <laughs> we somehow politi- differences of politics came up. I don't know how it came up. <laughs> oh God, well, I think I know. And I said, listen, I would never part ways with a friend over different views, different political views. Like, if anything, I welcome it. I enjoy it. Actually, it's fun for me. And interesting, and instructive, educational, all those things. Um, But I did remember when I said that, that I think there's a C.S. Lewis line about, it's in The Four Loves, his book, and he says that he, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, I never considered a difference in politics to be a reason for parting ways with friends. The only thing that he would consider as a reason to part ways with a friend would be a difference in uh, the definition of what is just.
0: We're which, there, though. That's where we are. Yes. And, and which what is, is actually true, What is true and what is just.
1: Which is actually kind of what... Yeah, it is the situation we're in these days where one political... Party and the other, or one political set of views and the other one are actually different opinions of what is justice. Whereas in the past, I think justice, we had a more common there was a more belief common, about yeah. what justice was, and then it was just, the difference actually was just how to meet out or achieve or get to that justice via different policies, but the same version of justice existed at the bottom. Now it's not the same version of justice. Like maybe that version of justice exists for one party, but the other party has like an entirely new one (laughs) where it's just, there's no such thing as justice. In fact, justice would be to destroy the entire thing, the entire concept Mm. and the system built on the original concept of justice true equality for all
0: things of that nature which I don't, you know, I don't really understand because the way I see it, the lens I see it through they've, they've won every institution right so what was the point of that? to just win them and destroy them or win them and, and be mad about it I, you know, you've won, they've won them all They've won it all. The only thing that they they haven't won is podcast. I call this I call this the neoliberal regime. The only thing that they have neoliberalism, yeah, right? yeah neoconservativism, yeah. right? It's all they're all the same. Neocon neoconservativism played for Team George Bush and Dick Cheney it's when it just was convenient. a branch
1: of liberalism,
0: right? at the time they needed it the convenience to lure us into the war mm-hmm. so they had the cowboy and the because
1: the neocons are globalists
0: that's right simple. and so are the neil and so is you know so yeah, are the yeah. liberals but yeah. but at the time the face of it was the the texas guy and the and the guy who shot his yeah, friend with yeah, the musket yeah. you know <laughs> or <Yeah>. the shotgun <laughs> <laughs> i wish i had a musket no he shot his friend with the shotgun Chaney. Yeah, yeah, I know who it was, but yeah. you know, I, don't, I try not to say that name in this house. <laughs> you catch on fire. <laughs> but, so at the time they had, okay, that was the face of the regime. Yeah. And they moved on to the the face of it now. It's swung this way. This is why you see these people hanging out together. You, you see them all as part of this one. Right. It's one party. Right. And it's moved on to, okay, now we, we needed them for this. We broke the... Spine of the country, and a lot of these people were the people from Ohio. Even you know, mm-hmm. people from the working class, patriotic branches of the country yeah. went to the war, and a lot of them not only lost their jobs and their occupation, you know, and their meaning in life, but they lost their kids, or they they lost their will to live when they came home, and they right. got on drugs. Right. So we broke these people, and then they moved over here, and they started breaking cultural norms. Right. And that's what you were just talking about. They grabbed the... They've had the institutions. They've always had the institutions, though. To me, it's not a difference. There's never been a meaningful difference between the two parties until you started to see the sliver of things. Now, however people feel about it is however they feel about it. I've never seen a difference until I saw a difference with Bernie Sanders Mm. and the populist left... He mm. was a spark to me. He was mm-hmm. a, and then you see the difference with America first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's why both of these things had to be squashed. Yeah. You know, Ber- Bernie Sanders, they put that fire up fast because the regime was wearing the Democrat pants yes. at the time. Yeah. And they were like, no, nah, this old man, fuck this guy. And you could, people can say whatever they want about Bernie Sanders, but he could have everything wrong, but his intentions were true. It's so it seemed to me. Sure so it seemed to me yeah. and I think he had a lot of things right I liked Bernie Sanders at one point I yeah. liked how he stood on a lot of things he was a rural he came from a rural state yeah however you know they, they we're on politics now however he obviously succumbed <laughs> to the will of his party <laughs> I mean he has <clears throat> multiple mansions like he doesn't do you, have m- mansions what do you want he doesn't have mansion. he has multiple homes they're
1: modest homes though My opinion, I just want to interject it here on Bernie Sanders, is that he is a capitalist and he's serving a market. He knows that the the communist American market is a niche market that needs to be served. And he happens to be the Vermontian to do it. (laughs) So what do you want? I just think less so than others. However, I will agree with you that he was... The more competitive choice, and if he had been the nominee in 2016...
0: Against, let's say, a Jeb Bush. Oh, my gosh. He uh, would have Let's won. Get, give him a shot, right? Like, even as yeah. somebody who, you know, you didn't come from that political faction. I, You know, a lot of us have migrated this way, that way. You know, people like me and Kai have gone oh, this way. Oh, no, way. I, th- but, I thought I was Democrat until... T- Two thousand and nine. Yeah, he, he wasn't a Democrat till he became a Democrat. And then we were like a lot of people left. Yeah. Remember how popular he was? He had rallies like Trump did. Thousands and thousands of people were coming to those. Now he's nobody. Yeah. He's just a guy who kinda shuffles along now and I, I stopped being a Democrat though, not because of the president.
1: Like I know a lot of people are like, oh I, I don't like this guy in my party who or this whoever. And so I'm changing parties now. It, I just had a, a moment of clarity about the policies, and I, and I consciously decided, not that I was a Republican, because I also hated the Republicans, uh, but I just existed in a no-man's land. And I think I actually existed in no-man's land until 2016. Well, I would say about the... I deconverted from being a Democrat
0: <laughs> to being it- nothing. It's to me. It seems impossible, or maybe to, to being a be, populist, to be a, a Democrat now. Yeah, you could be anything else, in my mind. Mm. But being a Democrat now, I don't want to come at anybody who might be listening who votes that way. I don't. I don't care. Uh, I'd rather people voted for nothing than that. But, but. The the thing that drives me kinda nuts is it just seems like there's such a lack of gratitude built into the platform. Mm-hmm. That Well, it's just a live, platform of hatred. To to live your day to day, you you have to have gratitude. You have to have gratitude for your family and be able to put things aside so that you can still love your parents and your siblings. You have to have gratitude maybe for the place you live, your neighbors, your it just seems like it's a platform of everything's wrong all the time, you know. And I yeah, just—it's like
1: hyper emotional, um, just frantic. It's—it's it's the party of people screaming and crying and like, and then you look at the other party, which is a party of humor and joy, <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> And so, at least I don't know about for that. people who aren't rhinos,
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. And I don't know if
1: it's a party of humor and joy. I think it is. But I think I, they're having a party, like an actual party. And <laughs> if you're just looking it's at funny. it, it's like, funny. it is funny. Everybody on, on terms of enjoyment. Yeah. Who's which party is enjoying themselves more? You got to give it to the so-called Republicans. Well, they or they the really- people on the right. Which faction is enjoying themselves more? I want to hang out with the people who are enjoying themselves
0: more. The Democratic Party is not even having fun and they're winning. You should be having a blast. Yeah, you should be stoked on life. I was saying to Juliana last night, I said, man, you know, all they had to do was not fuck this up for us. Uh, And just not... And I know we disagree about the 2020 election. We actually always have. I'm like, I really... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and I think it plays out because of the... I, I, anyway, I don't want to go down this road. I want to get yeah. back to the book in a minute. But I said, man, if they just were doing a good job, no one would care. Like, if you just had the interest of the country in mind, no one would care. Yeah. But instead, we're, we're staring down 100,000 fentanyl deaths. Maybe a new record this year. And then a new the record border. the year after that. We're staring down... Two million. Record credit card debt. Yeah record poverty rates yeah record child poverty rates record cancer rates because of you shut us all out of the hospital systems yeah when you had your covid lockdowns and right day, which didn't work literally everything's breaking mm-hmm. every single thing is breaking and yeah. they are on tv and this was the moment the other day i was like i th- if that building caught on fire i would i would pray it burn faster <laughs> Which building was this? I won't say. Oh my god! <laughs> Maybe gosh. I should stop myself. Oh no no no! But anyway, okay, there's, there's they're are having a party. Yeah. Celebrating the 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 bill they passed, and there's literally a thing in the corner, and it's the stock market crashing. Did you did you see this? Oh, I saw I saw screenshots. You're just of this. seeing it dip, yeah. I and mean, these are people's lives that are falling apart now. Yeah. Four hundred one ks. Well, we know that
1: suicide rates suicide. rise and fall with the stock market. So if it moves a certain number or percentage points, a number of percentage points, you I, get
0: increased death. It's I got, crazy. I got into an argument, and I don't, I don't do this often, but on, on the on the web with a guy about the the 401ks and the stock market and stuff. He said, normal people don't, don't pay into that anyway. I said, normal people? Union workers have pensions. Uh your everyday state employee has a pension, yeah, your everyday person invests in a 401k. It's like the bare minimum thing you do. I yeah. have one as a, as a middle working person yeah and I've seen mine go, I only have like four thousand dollars in mine or whatever I've seen it drop like almost a thousand bucks. Wow, well, that's almost 25 percent yeah, I, I haven't checked it in a while. Just nose diving that's now crazy. imagine if you're at retirement age. Oh yeah, and you've invested in that your whole life, and it's falling apart on you. Yeah, and this and these people are like, well, who cares? Uh, normal people don't even have money in those. No, normal people live are for depending that. on that for, it, for their future. You think just you think it's normal people who live off just social security, right? What that's not middle America. That's not. But I, I had to cool myself because I'm like it affects everybody. Right. To, I don't know. I don't understand this line of thinking. I just don't get it, you know. I'm I am i am getting in an argument with this kid. I'm like, maybe it's a bot, because it doesn't make any sense to believe that, you know. Were you on Facebook or something? I think it was. No, I don't go on Facebook. I, it's Instagram. Nice. But. It's like saying you know it's like it'd be the same thing as saying, oh the the housing market's crashing and all these houses are worth nothing now, and that doesn't matter because regular people don't own homes <laughs> right. It's like, oh, <clears throat> yeah, I guess we're heading to that point yeah, you know everybody we're going to be a renting
1: yeah, nothing matters It doesn't uh, matter if things go wrong nobody no one has any stake in the things that are going wrong. This is the argument
0: that's the argument to, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't have any stake in it. who cares yeah, you know at least um, I don't know. I can't even find a good thing it's like about what's going on right now. And that's the thing that really shatters my mind. And I see a lot of my friends so quiet about it, you know? But just so quiet, like like punks, you know? Yeah. We're punks. We're against the system. You are the system now. You're being quiet about what's falling apart around you. I mean, we're going towards nuclear conflict.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And the
0: only thing that they're doing is saying, let's let's keep funding the industrial complex. It's madness! <laughs> like, oh my God, what is going on? You know. <clears throat> anyway, hillbilly elegy. Man, we got way off track, dude. No, no, that's We're on gonna track. We have to cut off the last half hour. No, we don't. <laughs> How do we, we wrap this up? We've got we've got a good good few minutes left to to poke at a few last ideas. But I think it was cool that we didn't we didn't talk about JD Vance as a Senate candidate because. You gotta let a book stand on its own. As soon as you start to pry into the author, it gets a little out at sea. Sure. I would say my my really my last thoughts with this book are: I felt a lot. I felt akin to a lot of some of the stuff that he was talking about mm. with the way there was a lot of yelling. Love. Yeah, and and he talked about it in the TED talk I watched today. He talks about sort of the. The impact of trauma on children, yeah, and how that plays out as they age, and some of these things are just yelling and yeah, he instances. lists them. Yeah, he lists them all, and I thought, wow, that really actually ring. You know, I love my family, but I always thought it was normal, yeah, to be in a really hostile environment all the time. Yeah, yeah. And that becomes your normal, you know, and... And, uh, and then that's how you learn to interact with other people. With other and... people, with, with partners, and... Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I lived that for a long time, as I was saying earlier. And I just had to... I had to stop. I had to figure out a way to stop my... You know, at some point, you either realize you're the you're the monster... Yeah. And you take responsibility, or you just fulfill that cycle of anger and... And yeah. that's what he's talking about breaking away out of is, yeah. is all of that he's like I could have just been an angry kid from Ohio yeah who it's yeah like, and he
1: talks about how Usha had zero instances of that right and I I do think she also that, roped him in she yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's like she's really good for him he said and he also said that it's a common thing actually for people who break out to pair up with someone outside of that entire culture So, that is interesting. Um, I don't even, you know, you begin to think, well, how do you fix it? And I can't even begin to to think about that. Um, But I, I did like the policy things he talked about, where he said... Policies need to be directed toward helping the family um, and to
0: increasing social mobility. I think that's good. I think even one of his policies as as a Senate candidate, here we go. But was was that he wanted to increase tax increase tax benefits for people who were committed to being married and having kids? Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, I, I none th- of this small government shit. That, that yeah, era is over. That's I, over. I think that. Yeah, as I, that was,
1: I think that's in the afterward. Um, but I, the thought did occur to me. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's very true. Perhaps the answer to a lot of these problems is just to help the family, and the family will figure out the other things. But if you just reinforce the family unit and help it to be more stable and financially self-sufficient, the family unit will itself figure out how to solve these other problems. Like if you have, Aristotle talks about how the family unit is the building block of society. It's not the individual, like Plato says. It's the family unit. And so if you have, you can, c- you can consider the family unit as a cell in an organism, in a body, and if you have healthy cells, they're gonna solve a lot of the problems that are going on <clears throat> in the body. Um, but if you have unhealthy cells, then, well, they create other kinds of problems and cancers and breakdown of other cells that are cells that are near, near them. But I think policies that are just directed at how can we make the family as strong and resilient as possible, those, we don't even know what kind of problems they would solve. But I, my suspicion is that they would solve a lot of things. A lot of these other things that were like, oh, we got to create a policy for this, a thing for that, jobs, and all these jobs, complications. Jobs. Yeah, oh, jobs is going to answer everything. <laughs> yeah. The GDP? It's like, <laughs> no. Learn I mean code. those. Yeah, those <laughs> things are important. And considering them has its place. But I think the family unit those needs the, to become centered. That's the food again. that
0: the family eats. Yeah, it's not, it's not the first thing. It's, right. It, and you're living, we're living this now. Like
1: instead of measuring GDP, I want to know how many family, how many intact families does the country have. If that number is going up, then I'm gonna think my country is successful.
0: Because well, I think it was Thomas Sal who, who wrote about how in the, he writes about the black, the black family, and it's how it's deteriorated over time. And he talks about sort of the war on poverty, I think, and things. You know, anytime the government wages a war, <laughs> it's usually going right. to end badly for the people. Oh, white liberals and black rednecks. Well, that's that might be where he talks about it. But he says the the black family was largely intact <clears throat> through until through, Johnson. Until about Johnson, and it was it was. It struggled with poverty. It struggled with redlining. It yep. struggled with everything that we've talked about historically, but it didn't struggle with love, and yeah. it didn't struggle with uh, it didn't it didn't struggle nearly like it does now with crime, right? And and despair politic. right? Whereas, And then they incentivized they the broken it. black family. They, well, they they took it because
1: I, I, you can't get the money unless it's right. And if I've, there's a man in the house, you want a
0: man out there. I've of long the house. maintained, I've long believed that they started there mm-hmm. and they've worked their way through. And now they're working their way through the rest of the country. Mm. White people, whites, yeah. native whites like myself, native. <laughs> yeah. We enjoyed for a while, sort of, we did enjoy for a while, sort of not being attacked on that front. Yeah. And now everybody's in it. And and now, and, and, well, Appalachian people were attacked on that front. Yeah. But coastal whites were. Now it's everywhere. Now, man, your affluent suburban neighbor's kid could be dying of fentanyl. You know, it's mm. it's fucking everywhere now. Yeah. Like the the regime is finishing the country on yeah white people, I guess. You know, because yeah. they already did it to black people a long time yeah. ago. It, yeah. Yeah. Demoralized and broke them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this is a heavy Well, conversation, you, can't, but...
1: you can't tax families as much as you can tax individuals. You don't think so? No, that's just a fact. You want to increase taxes, tax people individually.
0: But it doesn't seem because like Because families
1: were... and families with kids
0: uh, get write-offs. Oh, oh you're talking about the tax code. Yeah, yeah. And they're less consumptive. Right. Or they're, yeah, they're they consume less, a lot less. less they pay consuming. less rent. They number things. We we are we we are being turned into people who just consume things, right? You know that is capitalism. Yes. <laughs> well, it's an hour and a half there.
1: I think that this is this is good. This was a good book. Uh, I'm not going to give it a rating or no, I, no, no. or anything like that, but um, I learned a lot and. I'm definitely going to be watching the future of J.D. Vance.
0: I would say it's a good book, too. And I I totally, you know, we ran out of time, but I I forgot to ask you about October Sky because I felt like that was sort of the pre-story to this. You know, I missed it, actually. I... I was looking for it and I don't even... You've know. read it. Uh, you've watched the movie, right? Yeah, I watched the movie, but I didn't see... I don't think I saw it in the book. No, 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 you didn't, but it's sort of... It's the coal mine version of this story. Oh, I see. About the kid Homer getting out. You know, they get out. Right. But the struggle... They're becoming rocket engineers, yep. scientists. The struggle there is much more tangible because the father really wants him to stay and be a coal miner because oh. that's the dream. i got to you know? rewatch it. My favorite part uh. of that movie was... The debate
1: in the beginning, debate. Yeah, the opening scene is this like uh, debate competition in the school. Yeah, something like that. I
0: can't. I can't remember. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. That's a beautiful movie, though.
1: Yeah, it's it's sad. I, well, I don't remember the whole thing, but I just I just remember it cuts parts of it. Does it? it? Cuts you up.
0: It's it's a, a father son struggle movie, and
1: uh, I got to rewatch it. In the working. Yeah. I saw it when I was a kid, very young. Oh, it's good,
0: man. Yeah, you know the thing that really gets me about it is uh, he sees he the thing you know you've you know this story firsthand, but seeing your father decline. Yeah. But he sees his father decline in an economic state that's declining. This, this town shutting down, mm-hmm. limb by limb, and but he and then eventually the health. He's coughing. He's black lung. And yeah. And then just watching that happen and saying, "Man, if I don't get out of here, yeah, you know, it's, gotta, yeah, that could be it's me. gonna kill us all." Yep. Great movie, but th- that was the last thing I wanted to add was that it it, it felt like the city version mm. of that that rural story. Yeah, it's a big story and it's a necessary story. Yeah. Well, this is this is an American story. Yeah. Same with October Sky. Should we say uh, next week? Should give people a heads up. Sure, why not? That (laughs) that would be a new thing that we did. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Next week, we'll be talking about John Dos Passos and his novel Manhattan Transfer, written about the great city of New York.